So you always want to be prepared to... To set goals. To be really disruptive. Diversity is fundamental. It is just trusting those super strengths. To recover from those failures and, and learn from them. Humility looks like the softest word, but it's kind of the hardest. We ourselves are in beta mode. Life goes on. Sporting Edge, inside the mind of champions. Welcome to the Inside the Mind of Champions podcast. My name is Jeremy Snape. I'm a former England cricketer with a master's degree in sports psychology. Since retiring, I've been fortunate to work with and interview some of the world's most successful thinkers and performers. And I'm passionate about translating their habits and routines into practical strategies to help you become more successful. In each episode, I'll be dissecting a common performance challenge to help you improve your mindset, your leadership and your team performance. To me, our mindset is the next frontier. So let's find out why. Hello and I hope you're well and that you're enjoying the sport at the moment. The football's been producing some remarkable results. We've had the Super Bowl, Joe Root and the England team are keeping India on their toes out in the Test Series. Scotland made a surprise, brilliant start to the Six Nations. So Eddie will definitely need to be galvanising the troops for England. And also massive congrats to Greg Shippard with his Sydney Sixers for their win in the Australian Big Bash League. It's fair to say we need that escapism from sport at the moment because life's still pretty tough. Well, this is episode 25 of Inside the Mind of Champions, where we've been encouraged to opt for optimism. So the big question is, is your glass half full or half empty? I think given the current situation, pessimism is definitely the easiest and default position to adopt. We've got the pandemic, different industries and businesses failing, We're disconnected from friends and family, and worse still, the future remains very uncertain. So when you look into the next few months of your future, do you see dark, stormy skies, or do you envisage the clouds parting to reveal blue sky ahead? In this podcast, we're going to tackle some of the belief systems that prevent us from becoming more optimistic, and we'll look at the impact that optimism can have if we're brave enough to choose it. As ever, I'll be drawing on over a decade of interviews from some of the world's best thinkers and performers to help us to make sense of this critical topic. Here's a taster of what's ahead in today's show. It's not endlessly reviewing the failure. That's what our brain will do. I had a massive fear of failure. Every morning I woke up and it was like an examination for me. It was like a test morning. So that as soon as you start to think something negative or anxious, you can replace that thought with a positive one. What do we do when we lose courage? We talk negatively, we say this is never going to last. And then we lose energy, we lose strength. We lose the ability to cope. Nothing will happen unless I make it happen. I'm going to now knock on as many doors as I can and create as many opportunities for myself as I possibly can. Because if I sit at home and mope and just think negative thoughts about how depressing everything is, then nothing will happen. So we've got a fascinating topic ahead of us. But before we get cracking, I just wanted to say thank you so much to everyone who's left a review or a rating on the podcast. It really helps people who are browsing across the different libraries to pick out this one and and realise that it's one that they should stop and listen to. 
Big thanks to Bertie Cuthbert who said this has definitely been years in the making and it shows 10 out of 10. And we've also had loads of positive feedback from the 1400 students that are using our digital library as part of the Santander Students Programme. So definitely uh, you know, big hi to everyone on that programme. And Salma, thanks so much for your uh, review. Five stars, inspirational. Thanks for a well-balanced podcast. Also like to thank the person who left the one out of five rating. Um, it's a bit of a standout and that's definitely spurred me on even more. Uh, I'm not sure if you really didn't like the content or perhaps you were misled that this was some kind of Harry Potter podcast and it was the magical potions of Severus Snape, my uh, illustrious uncle. But um, if so, I hope you've expelliarmused yourself away from the show um, and we won't see you again. But optimism, let's stay positive. It's linked to better mental and physical health, increased motivation and performance and personal relationships. So it's definitely something we should be digging into. But why do we even have to talk about optimism? If it's so good, why can't we just pick it up naturally? Well, the truth is that our brain was set up to work against us being too fluffy and dreamy. It's built to keep us safe, which means we're always on the lookout for threats and dangers. Not only are we primed to listen out for the predator above all else, when setbacks and painful experiences happen, we're predisposed to remember them even more. Our first insight comes from Dr. Deera Harris, an expert in psychiatry and learning, and she's also the current director of high performance at the Toronto Blue Jays baseball team. Deera explains how our brain codes memories to prioritise our safety. So if you think about the unbelievable task of taking all the information you get in a single minute, even us sitting across from each other, we hear sights, sounds, the last thing we said, and our amazing brains have to funnel that down into only the parts we need to remember. So one of the best ways we do that is we attach emotion to it, right? So when your brain's looking at all of these things to know, it can say, ooh, that one, the one that was when I felt afraid or the one that was when I felt really happy. So it's like putting a little flag on top of an endless array of tiny little mountains of memories, okay? So we use the emotions. Failure, especially in a public way or something like a sport, puts a very large flag, right? So when your brain goes back in and it has all these mountains to choose from, it goes to the one with the really big flag. And then over and over that happens. When you need to understand a process, having a failure flag and an emotional thing is good because it tells you, all right, I wanna learn what happened. Once you understand what happened, then it needs to be new targets and new things to work on, right? It's not endlessly reviewing the failure. That's what our brain will do. Find to understand it. And, and that's part of the learning mechanism is that your brain says, go back, understand this. The key is once you understand it, move on, <laughs> you know? And that's the place where a lot of people get stuck. So that makes sense to our ancient brains. It was far more important to remember the bush of yellow berries that made us feel really sick rather than remember the bush of red berries that we really enjoyed. Our brain encodes these memories of failure, shame and rejection. So they're close at hand when we get into a risk situation. So we have to put practical steps in place to acknowledge this warning or this lesson and this wisdom from the past, but then be able to override it and look for the new opportunity with optimism and a fresh set of eyes. 
This is definitely a conscious choice. And the first thing we've got to do is realise that that voice in our head isn't actually the truth. It's just the voice of that fearful caveman warning us to stay safe at every juncture. But if we're going to live a full life of adventure and risk taking, then we're going to get kicked in the nuts. We're going to have setbacks. But when we do hit rock bottom, the question is how long we stay there. And it's our optimism that plays a critical role here in our ability to recognise past failures and shameful experiences, but to keep moving forward undeterred. I looked up the definition of the word optimism and it said hopefulness and confidence about the future or the success of something. So that combination of hope and confidence is really interesting. Not only do do we need to be able to see the upside of a situation, but we also need to believe that we can turn it into a reality. There seems to be a paradox here. We generally want to live happier and more fulfilled lives full of adventure, but our brains are set up to warn us against taking any risk. That's where our inner dialogue comes in, and that's the first place we're going to start. I did some work once with a professional cricketer, a fast bowler, and he was saying that he was you know, really losing his head and starting to get really anxious and his performance was dropping massively as a result. So I thought I'd get closer to him and try and take a bit of time in the nets to understand what was going on. So before each ball, I watched him bowl and he was fine going through his little routine. But then as he bowled some bad balls, he started to kick the ground and you can see the red mist was starting to rise. So I asked him, you know, if he was being negative in his self-talk and he said, yeah, but he wasn't really conscious of it. So it was a little experiment. There was only us in the Nets area. I asked him to speak out loud what he was saying in his own head. So, you know, before the ball was, um, you know, started, he was at the back of his mark and he was saying, come on then, let's have a good ball, hit this spot and make sure you follow through, which is all quite positive. And then he ran in silently, of course. And as he was, you know, bowled the ball and he was winding down from that follow through, he started shouting and swearing and berating himself for being absolutely rubbish. He walked over to me and looked a little bit embarrassed. And I said, well, you know, is that your typical approach? And he said, oh, yeah, mate, that's pretty mild. You know, you want to hear when I'm really pissed off. And I couldn't believe it that this guy was being so negative to himself. You know, he wouldn't talk to a to vermin like that. It was really, really, uh, you know, negative. And we started to think about how we could get hold of that. And And not that I wanted to all of a sudden turn him into the Dalai Lama, but You know, we've got to realise that that voice in our head, no one makes us think those things. You know, we do have control over it. So just that ability to be aware of the situation and swap it out with something that was more helpful. You know, a change of perspective was helpful for him as well. And I said to him, you know, would you speak to me like that? And he said, no, no, I wouldn't do that. I said, would you speak to one of your mates like that? And he said, no, never like, not at all. And I said, well, what would you say to yourself or to one of your colleagues or you know teammates if they'd bowled exactly that same ball and he said well I'd say to them you know head up you know you've got another chance next ball make sure your action's strong and your front arm is high and get back on it and you know get back on track I said that's really interesting isn't it that you can say that to somebody else uh, but you can't say it to yourself really interesting to think that you know, maybe using that strategy of if you aren't being negative with yourself and pessimistic with yourself, maybe reframe it and start to think about how would I advise an entrepreneur, a student, you know, a, a mum, 
uh, an executive that's in a similar position to me, if they were going through what I was going through, what would I say? And it's likely to be much more positive, much more optimistic, you know, and, and give them much more motivation to keep moving forward and keep persisting. Whereas when we talk to ourselves, we've got that shame and that guilt and that fear of failure and that ridicule that actually shuts us down and gives us that, you know, really critical, pessimistic and negative voice. And that critic that is the only one we listen to. So I think sometimes we need to, you know, if there's one output of this podcast then just be aware of your self-talk and realize that, you know, that isn't you that's speaking. That's somebody in your past, a coach. Maybe it's your, your father. Maybe it's a negative friend. Maybe it's somebody in the media that's criticizing you. And we absolutely have the chance to change that. Tackling new challenges can be exhilarating when we choose them. But when novelty and uncertainty are forced on us, it can be a dangerous mix for our thinking. Our brains ingrain habits and routines so that they can become automatic and then conserve that mental energy for those all-important problem-solving and threat responses when we get into a crisis. The problem is that when these routines are negative thoughts, we can create a prison inside our own heads if they go untested. In the same way, when we learn healthy thinking habits and patterns, we can change the architecture of our brain and change our reality. It's not like we can plug ourselves into some kind of thought purifier like a dialysis machine, with negative thoughts of the day being washed out and re-entered as more positive and helpful. The only person that can make this switch is ourselves. Being aware of these mind games and skills is definitely the starting point. And the world's best performers in all sports and business and music aren't immune. They need to play these mind games just like us. Here's former England cricket captain Nasser Hussain explaining the daily challenge he had in getting his head ready for test matches. I think people presume what they see on the telly, the final product, are these tough cricketers and fearless cricketers or sportsmen or anything in business that are just fearless you know, they're, they're just normal human beings with normal fears of failure. And I, I had a massive fear of failure. I, every morning I woke up and it was like a, an examination for me. It was like a test morning, if you remember how you felt when you were doing your, your O-levels or A-levels or GCSEs. Um, so it didn't come easy to me, being an international cricketer and being on centre stage. To some, it does come easy. Darren Goff, Kevin Peterson, Brian Lara, Shane Warne. It seems to come very easy being a, an international sportsman. To the rest of us, sort of mere mortals, every day is a challenge and a battle. And you have to become resilient. You have to play mind games with yourself. Um, I think it was Alan Knott who once advised me that you have to try and make out it's just another game of cricket when you know in the back of your mind it's very important. So every morning you're trying to tell yourself, ah, come on, this is just another game of cricket and you should be lucky, thankful what you're doing. It doesn't matter if you get out. There'll always be tomorrow, etc when in the back of your mind you absolutely know that it is seriously important, not only to yourself, but your family, to England fans, etc. So you learn to build in that resilience by playing mind games with yourself. We tend to place our sporting heroes on a pedestal, but I love to illustrate how their mental strategies can be applied to all of our lives. Think of a time when you let that negative voice win. Not only does it affect our performance, but it's a pretty miserable experience to live out too. 
NASA spoke about that weight of expectation he felt as being England captain. And that must have come from the media, his family, his teammates, and most importantly, from himself. Now, of course, as England captain, he's got a very important job to do. But the problem is we can't make it so important that we cannibalise our own confidence. This is where we find mental toughness, in those micro moments where we reframe our negative thoughts, where we park that negative critic and replace it with something useful. This is something we can all do as parents, as teachers, as entrepreneurs, executives or students. For me, the winning mindset is winning these daily moments of doubt and keeping our momentum going forward to a brighter future rather than being trapped in that negative loop. I'd love to get your feedback on how you're using these insights from our members library. So please do email me at hello at sportingedge.com with any feedback. And if you'd like to get a free month's trial to access the whole of our video library and all of our research, all the practical tips, I'll be your personal coach on that journey and we'll be joined by some incredible coaches for live sessions as well. Then here's how you can join. During times of uncertainty and pressure, your mindset will be the key to your success. Sporting Edge members have unlimited personal access to hundreds of video insights and performance strategies to accelerate their personal and professional success. This is your chance to get powerful weekly micro-lessons from the world's best thinkers and performers from elite sport. You'll be able to connect with a global network of entrepreneurs, coaches and senior executives on webinars, discussion forums and events. Become a Sporting Edge member and get access to the world's best coaches on demand. For more information, visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com. So we'd love to see you in our members club. And if you'd like to get that free month's trial, then when you set up your account, please apply the code INSPIRE21 with no gaps to the discount code box. And that'll give you the chance to explore this incredible resource to support your own mindset and your working team. So we've heard that it's natural for our brain to prioritise those negative experiences to keep us safe. And even the best performers in the world have their own personal doubts. Now, whether that's a doubt that I can score a century at Lords in the Ashes or whether it's a doubt that I can get out of the bed in a morning to go and do some exercise on a frosty morning, the challenge is the same. So this is where cultivating optimism can help us, believing that we can make things better and that we've got the confidence and courage to get started. To develop this resilience, we need to debate these automatic thoughts and beliefs that have become habitual in the last months and years. As we now hear from Dr. Tara Swart, a leading neuroscientist and coach. I'm a huge believer, have always been, in the effect of the mind on the body and the body on the mind. Um, and indeed that the brain is embodied. It's not that, you know, there's no cut-off at your neck between what goes on up here and what goes on below. The answer to your question is that this response is both nature and nurture. So some people will start off with genes that give them increased um, resilience to stress. In terms of the life experiences that you have and then how you are brought up and how you believe things, perception is reality. I mean, our brain is really only responding to how we feel about things, not what's actually out there. So uncertainty for the future, for example, um, can have more negative effects on the brain than something actually going wrong. 
So absolutely, I believe that if you're able to reframe your thoughts, um, learn new behaviours, learn new language. There's a book um, about Buddhism and neuroscience where they actually say, store up positive statements and stories so that as soon as you start to think something negative or anxious, you can replace that thought with a positive one. Once you're in that negative spiral, it's difficult to come up with a positive statement, but if you've got a store of them, it's easier to replace them. And every single thought that you have, every feeling, every emotion, every memory, every interaction with a person or people, sculpts your brain in real time. So absolutely, what you're thinking changes the way that pathways are laid down in your brain, and that will correlate to stress responses. There are so many elements in that insight that we can use. Firstly, that our mind and body are connected, and I don't just mean by our neck, but when we think things, our blood chemistry and physiology changes, and then also we can use our body you know, to impact our thinking. For example, if we drop our shoulders and slouch, we start to feel and think more negatively. And if we exercise our body, then we get the release of endorphins and those feel-good factors to help us to make healthier choices. The second thing was that resilient people notice those negative and pessimistic thoughts, but they don't engage with them. They acknowledge them and then they swap them out for something more useful. Remember, negative thinking can only do you harm if you believe it. We've got to have that debate and that ability to swap it out. So whether that's you thinking back to your best game in sport, your best ever sales pitch in business, or your best ever exam results as a student, maybe it's using a mantra of some key words. The common theme is taking your thinking up a level to be something more optimistic and more positive. Sports stars quieten that inner chatter by using key words and mantras as they compete. We can't think two things at the same time. So that ability to move the negative thought and park it to the side and consciously choose something that is more helpful is really, really critical. For example, a golfer on the first tee that's really nervous might be saying slow, tall and follow through at that real point when they're so nervous and their inner critic at the same time is whispering, look out for the water on the left. But it's a battle of the two voices and we've got to make sure that we win it by just going back to something helpful. Again, we're not saying we're going to aim for a hole in one and have some kind of dreamy thought. It's got to be grounded in something practical that takes us forward in that next step. This strategy of consciously choosing something helpful rather than harmful might be trivial on the weekend's golf game, but it's given the ultimate test in extreme environments. Someone who's researched individuals and teams who've pushed themselves to the edge of their limits in space flight and polar expeditions is Professor Gro Sandal from Bergen University. When I met Gro, I was keen to learn if these skills from sports psychology would translate across into these life and death situations. What we have learned from uh, the people uh, in extreme environments, for example, those uh, doing polar crossings on ski, we see how they use mental strategies in order to overcome pain, both physically and also self-doubt. Uh, for example, one of the ladies who did, uh, who I've studied, and who did a solo expedition crossing uh, an Arctic area. She said that she landed, she was dropped off by the helicopter. She landed there and all that she could see was endless uh, white uh, area. Uh, 
and also the ice was like that, that she had to cross and ski. And uh, of course, she, and she told me, well, I could uh, be discouraged, of course, I could. But if so, I would lose energy. Uh, so what she instead tried to do was to refocus. Instead, she then focused on the beauty of the surrounding, the beauty of the landscape. And uh, also, she looked at the sky, and she saw these three clouds up there. And she pretended or imagined that these were three important women in her life who had passed away, her grandmother and her aunt and her mother. And she imagined that they looked after her. And with these uh, strategies, of course she didn't believe that, but she kind of got into that, those thoughts and used them instrumentally. I think these kind of strategies can be learned also by people who are in other kind of uh, stressful situations. Um, so instead of focusing on the problems, uh, trying to refocus. And also, as you mentioned, the ability to talk to yourself in a constructive way. Because what do we do when we lose courage? We talk negatively, we say this is never going to last. And then we lose energy, we lose strength. We lose the ability to cope. And I, I, I think that the flexible use of these kind of strategies is one important characteristic of stress-resilient people. Can you imagine the silence as the helicopter dips over the horizon and leaves you alone in that barren snowscape with the ravines and the peaks that you have to cross for the next few months? Your heart would sink and the pessimist would start to step forward. This is impossible. Look at that terrain. You're never going to cope. You're not strong enough. So that's where this choice to opt for optimism presents itself again. Do we believe that things can get better? And do we have the confidence that we can make that happen? So that reframing story of those three clouds was an example of looking for a positive visual cue to drown out the negative thoughts of those hills that looked as if they couldn't be crossed. The explorer knew deep down that that was irrational, but just by pegging herself to those thoughts gave her strength from those inspirational characters in her family. And that allowed her to break down the challenge and, you know, those mountains and hills down to pull a sled forward one step at a time. The ability to look for evidence which contradicts a negative voice is one of the key ways to disarm it. It's a mental strategy that reminds me of the technique that Professor Bina Candola spoke about in Breaking Our Bias in episode 11. It's another form of automated belief that needs challenging and we're in control of that challenge. He said that if you hold a belief, let's use an example, that you believe that all the best ideas in your business come from the oldest and most experienced people and all the youngsters haven't got a clue. That's a pretty strong belief. You'd need to challenge that belief by looking for contrary evidence. So you'd be looking for crazy ideas that would never work or have failed from senior executives and brilliant ideas from the new graduates or the under 25s coming through with brilliant creative ideas. So that as you developed more contrary evidence from your static belief, you start to chip away at it and you start to, over time, you start to see that moving away from the black and white, all or nothing belief 
and then you can start to make sense in a more rational way of that grey area in between. So this is the same with optimism. You know, we can always look for the green shoots, for the hope, for the success stories, even when they might be in the minority. So instead of those helpless comments of, oh, this is a waste of time, that'll never work, you know, we need to catch ourselves, as Tara Swartz said, and swap something in. Maybe it's a question to say, how could that work? Where would I start? Or maybe who else is doing it? And then if we're thinking about the outcome and the benefits that can add, then we boost our motivation as well. Because if we could crack that project, imagine what it would do for our clients. Or, you know, if I could find that investor, imagine how quickly we could grow. So so thinking about the benefits of getting through this tough period can also help us to get away from that fear of failure, that fear of rejection. And rather than immersing ourselves, you know, in the negative we're actually starting to look for those clues in the positives and the upsides and the benefits of actually getting through this challenge. And then that helps us to move forward and achieve our goal. But again, we need to back up our optimism with evidence of people moving forward. So another activity and practical strategy is to foster optimism and positive spirit in others. You know, we often think that if we're energetic, we're going to lose energy and people are going to drain us by taking our energy. But actually, we need that abundance mindset where if we give compliments and encouragement and mentorship to other people, then it can actually give us energy back. And I think we can all practice this at the moment, especially with this negative frame that we're all sitting in at the moment with the COVID pandemic. So this is not about false hope, but it's about giving people great advice and encouragement to have the courage to move forward and stay motivated in as they chase down their dreams. And when we start to see people grow and make progress, then that actually inspires us that movement is possible and this better life is available if we're courageous enough to move forward. Another option I often use is to think about optimism as a set of steps rather than a binary judgment that this is amazing and this is terrible. So when I hear bad news, my instinct is to try and reframe it. And I imagine that I'm on the middle step with two higher steps and two lower steps below me. So if my wife, we'd arranged to go to a concert or something and and she comes and tells me that's been cancelled. I imagine immediately those negative steps below me in my head and say, oh, it could have been worse. We could have lost our deposit and that'd be the next step down. Or if a colleague said, you know, client X has delayed their project or their conference, then I'll pretty much immediately think, okay, well, at least they haven't cancelled it. It gives us an opportunity to work with them in the future. So that's my choice. I opt for probably relative optimism that I've chosen to be grateful for where we are at the moment because we've still got some good stuff going on. We're still healthy and we've still got an opportunity to make an impact in the future. But I can imagine a few worse scenarios that immediately make me feel grateful for where we are at the moment. And even though I might wallow in self-pity for a short time, I generally try and, you know, find that more helpful route out and that different perspective because the next step down is worse and two steps down and three steps down is way worse. So it helps me to appreciate it rather than just say this is a disaster, you know, and the world's ending. That's a very informal strategy that I use in the moment, but something that's a bit more structured and formal is actually creating a gratitude journal. I know there's both very strong research on this, helping people to be more optimistic and positive, 
but also lots of anecdotal evidence from some of my friends and family who've done it as well. So this is the idea that at the end of each day, we're just writing down three or four key things that we're grateful for each day. And ideally, there'd be different things each day. And what that means, that old business saying about what gets measured gets changed. Um, we start to realize that that evening we're going to need to write something down. And that brings our focus forward into the day so that when we're on that dog walk and we see a, you know, a nice view or, you know, somebody's, you know, there's a positive story on the news or one of our colleagues does something great. Then, you know, that moment is then coded to say, yeah, I've got to remember that because that's got to go into my gratitude journal a little bit later on. And when we start to see these incremental moments of gratitude in our day start to build up through the weeks, we've got 20, 30, 40 elements of gratitude. Again, that sort of evidence it exists in the world rather than that negative voice in our head that never gets challenged. We've now got evidence on paper that good things are happening around us. And that again can start to chip away at that black and white belief of you know, this is no good. I'm in a no win situation. I'll never be able to escape it by looking for some of these positive threads and positive stories. You know, we can start to build those up. And when we reflect over those over a week or over 10 days, we can start to feel much more positive that things are on the way up for us as well. I'm very conscious that when people are in a negative state of mind, it's very hard to see that these very simple strategies are going to make any difference. But I always use the analogy that our mental skills are just like our physical skills. When we want to build muscle, you know, we lift up a dumbbell and if we lift it enough times, then we start to stretch that muscle and build that muscle. And that's how we get to, you know, have great beach guns. But it's not just going to happen if we either, you know, like the idea of going to the gym, but never do it, you know, or we don't do enough repetitions. So, Maybe that's something you could try to just at the end of each day, just not note down two or three bullet points on great things that have happened that you're really grateful for that day and start to see how those, you know, repetitions start to build. And when we start to look out for optimistic things and positive things, our whole sort of lens on the world changes. I don't know if you can ever remember, but I know for me, when I bought a particular car of a particular model in a particular colour, you know, I started seeing all of those cars on the motorways and highways and whatever, you know, where, wherever I was, because now my, you know, focus has been drawn to that particular element. And, and it became automatic for me to pick out those thing, things across all the thousands of cars that were on the road. Well, this is the same kind of thing. We want to try and create the new habit of looking out for positive things in our day. And that will stand out from the negative noise and we'll start to build momentum with that. So it's really important to buck some of these trends. I mean, I, I know the saying that goes, you know, bad things happen in threes. Now, that to me is just absolutely ridiculous. So I imagine I've, I've broken a glass, you know, after breakfast, I've stubbed my toe getting in the shower, and then I'm on the lookout actually for the third shit thing that can happen to me. It's absolute nonsense because. To me, that's opting for pessimism. And, and I think two shit things happening to you in, in a row are enough, thank you. So how irrational is it also to think about great thing happens in threes? You know, what's the difference? Uh, maybe we could be pushing things a bit too far, though. But it's it's important for us to reframe this negative outlook and start to look for green shoots and positivity because it is there. 
when I try and visualize optimism, I, I think about somebody who's had a tough time standing up out of a chair, rolling the sleeves up and about to get into action, whereas pessimism is about just wallowing and sitting back like a, a broken man or woman. And I always think back to that work of Carol Dweck, which is around the growth mindset, where we should be celebrating tenacity and hard work and that entrepreneurial spirit rather than just natural talent. Because, you know, the pessimist might lose motivation when they, you know, fail at the first point. They thought they were talented, but now this first failure has shown them that they were never good enough in the first place. And that's the point where they stop. Yet the person with a growth mindset says, well, I can't do it yet. And it's that finishing part of the sentence that yet that I haven't learned the way to do it yet. I haven't found the technique. I haven't tried it enough times yet for me to be able to do it. And I think that's at the heart of optimism. You know, we're all going to get setbacks that knock us back and we're all going to look at challenges that we face in the months ahead that just seem enormous, like we're staring at Mount Everest. But the key with the optimism is to look up and to say a solution does exist and that we can overcome it. If we can get over that fear of failure or that worry of the fatigue we're going to go through to get to the top of that mountain, then we can make that progress. It's a little bit like the bowler that was you know, negative to himself, but um, could easily coach his friend in a different voice. I wonder if a, another strategy for optimism might be to look through somebody else's eyes when everything seems against us or the world seems you know, like it's giving us bad luck. What if we said, if somebody else was trying to tackle this challenge, if a confident person was approaching this project, how would they do it? And maybe that gives us our starting point. Or if we've got a, a massive tidying project in the house to do, you know, how would a tidy person tackle this this room? And, and maybe that's what we should try first. Or where would a brilliant business decision maker and leader respond? How would they respond in this situation? And again, maybe that gives us a, a sort of starting point or a reference point, which is out of our own negative mindset. And it starts to show us that if another person is capable or has already done these great things to get over some of these challenging periods, then it just gives that hope and that confidence, that perfect combination that we can break this down into smaller chunks. This isn't Mount Everest. We've just got to get to the first, you know, first outcrop and then we're going to camp there for the night and then we do two more of those and we get to base camp and then we break that down in, in challenges as we go. So this isn't Mission Impossible. This is all about starting to think about how this can be achieved. And as we start to move forward and tick off some of those days and projects and those things we're grateful for, then that all becomes evidence in our bank account that allows us to build our belief for the future. Now, optimists absolutely need evidence of progress. So we need to keep looking up and keep banking those gratitudes and those elements of progress and improvement that we're making. Otherwise, it's just going to be a dream. So I think optimists can always see the future. They can always see the benefits that are going to come from putting the effort in, whereas pessimists just can't see the point in making the effort because they can't see any positive outcome actually happening. So I think we've got to create that light at the end of the tunnel and be able to visualize that because that'll give us that inspiration and motivation. Otherwise, we're just 
moving along in a dark tunnel. So we've got to picture those positive benefits of the life, the health and the work that we're going to gain from, you know, being having this mindset of optimism. And I wanted to share this insight from Annabelle Croft, the former tennis star, explaining how she opted for optimism and action to forge her second career as a commentator after retiring from playing. Because for many of us that find ourselves that we have to force change, it can be quite nerve wracking. But without us being optimistic and working hard, nothing's ever going to come easy. Yeah, because I had massive change in my life. The minute I stopped playing tennis, it was like, oh my goodness, I don't have to get up and put tracksuit on today and some training shoes. And that was quite a big change for me, actually, just putting normal clothes on for the first time in my life in the morning. Um, but I, you know, I was really positive, actually. When I stopped playing tennis, I had no education to fall back on. I had no qualification, nothing. But I just hit the phone and went about trying to get into the TV world or the media world, which in those days actually was quite unusual. Nowadays, it's far more common. But I just kind of like, right, nothing will happen unless I make it happen. I'm going to now knock on as many doors as I can and create as many opportunities for myself as I possibly can. Because if I sit at home and mope and just think negative thoughts about how depressing everything is, then nothing will happen. And I always say that to my children, you know, Go out and create it because nobody's going to do it for you. Nobody will go and create these opportunities. And you have to meet people, you know, talk, socialise, just interact with as many people as possible and throw as much out there as you can. So in that harsh reality of having to create a new career path in her late 20s or early 30s, Annabelle could easily have been forgiven for being pessimistic and, and feeling helpless. But actually that proactive and positive nature of hers to get up and look out at this second career that she wanted to create that hardly existed at the time, that she worked relentlessly. You know, I'm sure there were moments of rejection and embarrassment in that process of reinvention, but she never got uh, deterred. And her optimism and hard work definitely paid dividends because now she's one of the world's most respected commentators in the game. I always think back to that story of Ahmed Katrada in episode eight and how he kept his optimism in prison for 26 years with himself and his comrades, including Nelson Mandela, that they knew that if they stayed hopeful, they stayed resilient and they stayed defiant in those you know, extreme conditions of isolation, then they could eventually overthrow the oppressive apartheid regime. As one prisoner landed on Robin Island off Cape Town with those shark-infested waters, he wrote in the wet concrete, the ANC will surely win, 1967. And they visualised that while they were in prison, in the cells, in the you know hard labour that they had to do for 26 years. And as they walked off the island as free men, their optimism and their resilience was rewarded. The final strategy to help you to opt for optimism is thinking about those people that you spend time with. We've spoken about that negative voice in our own head, how it needs challenging so that we don't create a prison in our own mind. But the same can be said for those who block our belief and block our spirit. Especially now, we need to spend time with optimistic people, people who see solutions, not barriers, and people who won't be held back. 
you become most like the people you spend your time with. So it's really important in these testing times to make sure you're picking up great books, listening to brilliant inspirational podcasts and speaking to those people in your network that give you a lift rather than pushing you down. Optimism doesn't have to be a dream, but it does need to be actively chosen. And I really hope that some of today's strategies that we've explored help you to boost your mindset and positivity in the weeks ahead. This is not about aimless hope. It's about believing that we can make things better and then getting into action to turn it around. The path may well be steep and right winding and there might be crevasses and rock falls along the way. But striving for that purpose is fulfilling in itself, irrespective of what we achieve as the result. Thanks so much for listening in. And remember, if you need more strategies to help you to achieve your potential, come across to sportingedge.com to our members club and enter the code INSPIRE21 to get a free month's trial. Keep opting for optimism. Look after yourself. And until next time, good luck. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. Connect with Jeremy's LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram links in today's show notes to receive the latest insights from his work. If you'd like to get access to Sporting Edge's digital library or book Jeremy for a conference speech or webinar, then please visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com.